So open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. As you're going there, this Friday night we have a special memorial service happening for Cheryl Naylor and Karen Sawyer, two sisters that passed away in our church. Um, It's been a few months ago now. But anyhow, we're going to honor their lives, celebrate their lives Friday evening at 6.30, so all of you guys are invited. Amen? Let's make it a great celebration. Okay, Acts chapter 19. I'm just going to preach some simple stuff about Pentecost. In the Bible, there are three major feasts in the Old Testament that all male Jews were required to go to Jerusalem and celebrate. One was the Feast of Passover. The second was the Feast of Pentecost. The third was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, so Passover was fulfilled really prophetically when Jesus died on the cross. Can you say amen? And the third feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, I really feel like is yet to have a prophetic fulfillment because the Feast of Tabernacles is about God coming and dwelling with his people and it was inaugurated by the blowing of the trumpets. And I really just feel it's prophetically going to be fulfilled when Jesus returns with the sound of the trumpet and then God ultimately comes back to dwell with his people, right? Even the term tabernacled in John chapter 1, there's a term there in Greek that's used in the Old Testament for tabernacled in the Septuagint. It's also used for Jesus. He came and tabernacled among his own, and he's coming back to tabernacle with us. Another sermon. But that second feast was really, we're still in it right now, I feel. Because it was initiated in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and those gathered in the upper room, 120 in all, Mary in the center, and they all received the Holy Spirit that day. And it was really the inauguration of the New Testament church. And we're still in that era, I feel. We're still in the era of Pentecost. Okay? So the gifts of the Spirit the power of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous moving of the Spirit didn't pass away with the last apostle as some teach. And then some say, well, we'll go this far. It passed away with the last person upon whom the last apostle laid their hand upon. But that's just not the case. The gifts of the Spirit have never ceased. The baptism of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. If you've been in this tent this week, you've seen the operation of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit and of signs and wonders. He is as much here and present today as He was on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Can somebody shout amen? And so in the book of Acts, there are four different comings of the Spirit. And there's different terms used. The Spirit came upon, the Spirit fell upon, the Spirit baptized. And so there's four different comings of the Spirit. The first, of course, is Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in the upper room. The second coming we see in Acts chapter 8, when Philip goes down and preaches revival in Samaria... And he had great things happen. People were getting saved. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. But yet he realized there was something missing. They weren't receiving the Holy Spirit. So he got on the phone and called up Jerusalem headquarters and said, Could you please send down Peter and John? And Peter and John came down and laid hands upon those new believers and they received the Spirit as well. 
third instance in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 10, where Peter is led by a supernatural vision he received on a rooftop to an Italian's house named Cornelius. And he goes to Cornelius' house, and because he was a Gentile, Peter was a kosher Jew, he took witnesses with him. And so he went down and brought these Jewish witnesses with him, and Peter begins preaching Jesus in the house of Cornelius. And just as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit fell, and each of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Jews were shocked and amazed that God had also fallen upon Gentiles. And then the fourth instance we find here in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos and was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, What's the problem then? Into what were you baptized? What's going on? And they said, into John's baptism. And he said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So it seems to me from these different accounts that it's possible to be saved but not receive the coming of the Spirit as Luke defines it. Okay? So I'm going to ask two questions today. The first is, what's the difference in the baptism of the Spirit and just being saved? And then it begs the second question, then how do I receive the Holy Spirit? So the first question is, what's the difference between Holy Spirit baptism and just being saved and then the second question is, then how do I receive it? Let me, let me plow the ground and give some groundwork here at first, though. Hallelujah. How many knows God is good? God is good all the time. If you're born again, you're a candidate to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you're a candidate to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. See, some people teach that when you get saved, you get everything. You get everything. And there's no need to go on for anything more. There's no need to dig deeper. But I, I appreciate the old holiness movement guys in the 19th century and the early Pentecostals who really believed in a theology of more. They believed there was more to God than they had experienced. So let's dig into it just for a moment. You think back into the 19th century, the holiness people in North Carolina, in uh, Topeka, Kansas, even in California, in Houston, Texas, Cherokee, North Carolina, they were all pushing in for an experience they called the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they just wanted more of God. And they were pushing into this and pushing into this and pushing into this. And then on New Year's Eve, on a New Year's watch service in Topeka, Kansas, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a lady there named Agnes Osmond spoke in other tongues. And the people at this Bible college were really amazed. She spoke, the, the report says, she spoke and wrote in the Chinese language for three days. 
And I think it was just, again, prophetic that as we were coming into the 20th century, that God would give a sign like that, that now we're entering into, in Vincent Simon's words, a century of the Holy Spirit. Come on, can somebody shout amen? And then what happened from there was a cascading effect of the Spirit falling. So the, the Bible teacher at that Topeka, Kansas Bible College was a guy named Charles Parham. And then Charles Parham went down to Houston and taught classes in Houston for a while on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there was an African-American preacher there. And because of segregation, he couldn't get into the classroom to hear Charles Parham teach. So they set a chair up outside the classroom in the hallway, and he listened, and he heard heard the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though he didn't experience it. Later on, he was taken, he, he went to California and started uh, pastoring a small mission church that would become known as the Azusa Street Mission Church. And even though he had never experienced this baptism of the Spirit, he began teaching it. And at one point, he thought, you know what we need is my old pastor to come here and teach this thing, because she's experienced it. Her name was Lucy Farrow. She was an ex-slave, a former slave from the state of Virginia. And she took a train ride out. I wrote an article about this in our magazine a few years ago. She took a train ride out to California, and he showed up. She showed up at the home of the white gentleman who was hosting William J. Seymour in this church. And she showed up at the house, and the gentleman opened the door, and he said, Can you lay hands on me right now to receive the baptism in the Spirit? She said, well, let's hold on just for a few minutes. And they went in and they started having supper. And at supper at some point, she slid her plate forward, laid down her utensils, walked over to the gentleman of the house, laid hands on him, and the report says he fell out into the floor under the power of the Spirit and received the baptism in the Holy Ghost. This began a complete blowout revival for three years, day and night happening. Reports were people would show up at 4 and 5 in the morning and stand in the yard till the church doors could be opened to pray, and then Pentecost went out from there all over the world. But what I think is, is so profound is that it was an ex, a former slave lady from the state of Virginia who showed up and was the one who ushered in Pentecost into the 20th century in America. Come on, somebody raise your hand and say, do it right now, Lord. So one more story. So there's a man named G.B. Cashwell. He's part of the holiness movement that would become the Pentecostal Holiness Church. He's from uh, North Carolina or South Carolina, one or the other. And anyhow, he's supposed to go to annual conference in his denomination. He says, well, I'm I'm not going to come to conference. He wrote a note to his uh, superintendent asking for permission to leave because he said, I've heard about what's going on in Los Angeles, California, and I need to go. So he got on a train, and he trained all the way to Los Angeles, California, and the stories go that he walked into the Azusa Street Mission, and he saw that it was an integrated meeting with blacks and whites, and he was really offended. And so God started working on his heart, and he said, those African-American brothers laid hands on me. And when they did, it was like electricity shot through my body 
from the top of my head to the sole of my feet, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. Then they received an offering for him and bought his train ticket home. And he came back to the East Coast and went to Dunn, North Carolina, and got into an old uh, tobacco barn, I think it was, and started having meetings in Dunn, North Carolina. And it's from the fruit of that revival that this church was planted, really, 102 years ago. So Pentecost is not old to us, hallelujah, but we have direct ties right back to the, the, the explosion of Pentecost on the East Coast. Can somebody shout hallelujah? I don't know why I told all that, but maybe you needed to hear it. In the New Testament, there are three different baptisms that I can find. One is baptism in water. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So if you've been born again, if you've accepted the Lord in your heart, you should go on to water baptism. Okay? I don't believe it's sacramental in that it's salvific, but I do believe you need to be baptized. Number one, because Jesus commanded it. Number two, because Jesus was baptized himself and gave the example for it. And if it was good enough for Jesus... It's good enough for us. And the third thing I notice about baptism is it becomes a public declaration and a public testimony that now this is who you are. It's your coming out party. Now you're serving the Lord. That's like when I baptize people, I always like for it to be a public event. We say invite your friends, invite your family. Let's blow it up publicly. I plastered a church in Washington, D.C. area that we planted, and we had uh, rented facilities for many years, and so we didn't have a place to baptize. So we went out and bought basically a blow-up like kiddie pool. And I baptized a lot of people in my backyard. I baptized people in jacuzzis. I baptized people in public swimming pools. Go to the YMCA and just kind of wait till no one's looking and... But we always wanted family or friends to be there because I, even if we were baptizing in a bathtub, I said, get the family around. Why? Because it's a public testimony that this is now who you are, that this is what you're doing, that now you're coming out and you're saying, I am serving the Lord. I've come from darkness into light. Can somebody give him a hand clap of praise? So say it with me. Baptism in water. There's a second baptism in the New Testament called the baptism into the body of Christ. Body is a metaphor that Paul uses for the church. And when you're born again, when you're saved, you're ushered into the kingdom. You're baptized into the kingdom. And when that happens, you're baptized into the family of God now. You have a new identity. Now look around the, look around the room right now. These are your brothers, and these are your sisters. Even if you've never met each other, they are your brother or your sister. So go ahead and just tell somebody hi. You're my kinfolk, even if you didn't know it. It's a metaphor of the body. And so when someone is immersed, if we look at the term baptism, it means to immerse. And when you're immersed, it means everything is immersed and nothing is left dry. That's why I'm a freak when I baptize people, you know, because some people resist being water baptized. They're like, man, you better let go and let us do this thing or it's not going to go down good for you. And then how many people have we baptized and then they get this far down and their face is left up? I can't stand that. You know what I do? I baptize them again. 
or I've learned this trick. Get them down that far, if they resist, then I just take a big scoop of water and go, shh. I believe in, how many of y'all believe in everything getting wet? Well, that's what happens when you're baptized into the body of Christ. It's not like half of you stays in the world and half comes in church and you can't live like that. All of you comes into the kingdom. All of you comes into the church. You have a new identity. You have a new name. You have a new, you have a new stamp on you. Now you are a believer. Now you're part of the kingdom of God. I remember years ago the story of Fuchsia Pickett, who was, wasn't a Pentecostal, but she had a degenerative spinal disease that said it had taken out members of her family. And she went to an old school Pentecostal church one night, and they were having a meeting, and the pastor called a healing prayer line. And she said she remembered getting out of the pew and walking down to receive prayer. And about halfway down, the Lord spoke to her and said, Will you be associated with these people? And she said, yes, Lord, I'll be associated with these people. She received prayer, and God supernaturally healed her and lived the rest of her life with a powerful ministry. Something, when you get saved, you have new associations. Okay. Third baptism in the New Testament is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in water, baptism into the body of Christ, baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, so let, me, let, me, let me paint this. In salvation, the Spirit convicts a person and draws a person to Christ, right? In the baptism of the Spirit, the Spirit empowers a person over and explodes out of a person. In salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and brings to a person all the benefits of Christ, being salvation, justification, adoption into the body. But in spirit baptism, Jesus immerses the believer in the benefits of the Spirit. And then you receive the manifestation gifts, the boldness, the supernatural ministry. You see, we could all just, just forego the baptism of the Spirit, and we could all just minister from our head knowledge, and we would just have a head church. I could preach uh, decent messages I've intellectually created. We could have Bible study that we've all devised, and we could have programs that we've put together with our own thinking. But if we open the door to the fullness of the Holy Spirit and allow the, allow the Spirit to come in power, then we've elevated the way we do church to a supernatural level. And then God starts doing supernatural ministry through us, and then we start ministering like Jesus did, Casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, walking in word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, and miracles. How many say, Pastor, I prefer that type of church? Come on, give him a shout, somebody. We want to be a supernatural church, and my Lord, this world needs a supernatural church. I wasn't raised in church. I'd been to church twice in my lifetime by the age of 16. And so God, I, I was put in hospital for a week because I got really sick as a 16-year-old. And during that week in a hospital, a voice spoke to me. And the voice said, you don't have to party anymore. That may not mean anything to you, but that's kind of the way I was going. And it was like I was in a dark room and someone went over and flipped the light switch on. 
And I thought, I didn't know what it was, but now I know it was the voice of God. And then I, I, I remembered I had a cousin who pastored a church. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to go visit his church. They had Friday night services. And so I went on Friday night. Now, I, I'm from the Appalachian Mountains, so it was, a, it was a church on the side of a creek bank up a holler with two outhouses out back. Now, listen, I'd experimented with drugs and alcohol. I'd, I'd seen Ozzy Osbourne, ACDC, Iron Maiden, Twisted Sister, but nothing prepared me for that night in that Pentecostal church. Because I walked in there, a lady testified of being healed, and God had healed her bones and had the x-rays from the doctors to prove it. They were singing songs that sounded like one NBC reporter said of the Appalachian churches in southern West Virginia said it was a mix between Salvation Army Band and Acid Rock. (laughs) And they were dancing. And I was with a friend and the pastor runs down the aisle speaking in tongues. And she said, do you hear that? And I said, hear what? He's speaking in another language. I said, what in the world? And this is the way she described it. I thought, she said, some people get so close to God, they can talk to him in another language. I said, this is super cool. And it scared the devil right out of me. And my mom was raised in a holiness church, so I went home and I told my mom, I said, I don't know what's in that church, but whatever it has, I, whatever it is, I gotta have it. I gotta have it in my life. And I went back and fell right in with that crowd. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It took, I don't remember the sermon, I don't remember the teaching, but I remember the presence of God that got a hold of me in that little church that night. So, folks, we know here, we want a church that's supernatural. Amen? We want a church that flows in the power of the Spirit. That's why I'm wild enough to invite Ted Shuttlesworth to come and say, bring it all, man. Come on, let's open it up and let the Holy Ghost minister because stuff's being pointed out in that tent that no one told anybody about. Just God's supernatural ability has come and given the gifts of the Spirit so people can be ministered to on a supernatural level. Put your hands together. Give the Lord a praise. Somebody shout amen. Okay, one other issue, then we're going to answer the two questions. One issue that a lot of people wrestle with if you study the Bible is the difference between the writings of Luke and the writings of Paul. Because Luke was a physician, we're told, and when Luke wrote, he wrote two books, remember? What are they? Luke and Acts. It's a two-part, it's a two-volume work. He wrote Luke and Acts. And when Luke's writing, he really emphasizes the Holy Spirit. I mean, from the beginning of Luke, if you just read the birth narratives of Jesus, you'll see all kinds of spirit passages. I mean, Mary is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and conceives. She visits Elizabeth, and the babe in Elizabeth's womb leaps and is filled with the Holy Spirit. Zacharias is in the temple, overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. I mean, on and on and on. It's supernatural. And so Luke is looking always for evidence. He's a good scholar. He's a good reporter. 
He's a good physician. He's looking for evidence. So in those four instances that I talked about at the beginning, in the book of Acts, we have evidence happening in those four passages. You see in Acts chapter 2, there's an evidence of the Spirit, and Luke records it. Acts chapter 8, there is evidence of the Spirit, though it's not explicit, it's implicit in the text. And then in Acts chapter 10, he talks about the evidence he sees. In Acts chapter 19 that we began with, he recorded the evidence that he saw. And I believe, like the early Pentecostals, that if you look at all of those accounts, there's one common denominator that appears over and over as the overwhelming evidence that the Spirit has come upon people, and that was speaking with other tongues. And, and, but if you look at the writings of Paul, you see he wrote about the Spirit and described it a lot in terms of salvation. So when people read those two writings, there are some scholars, even in Pentecostal circles, who say we shouldn't uh, really go on Luke because he was writing a different form of historical narrative. We really should just look at the writings of Paul. Therefore, we can't press the issue of initial evidence or evidence of speaking in tongues. But let me read to you what John Piper said. Now, John Piper is a Baptist and Calvinist. But he got a New Testament Ph.D. in Germany. So he's a New Testament scholar, but he's a Baptist and a Calvinist. Here's what John Piper said. He said, Paul says, for by one spirit we're baptized into one body. And the context shows he's referring to the work of the sovereign spirit, which unites all believers to Christ. In other words, he's showing us that that's what happens in salvation. We're baptized into the body. But he said, I used to just assume that Paul and Luke were talking about the same thing when they used the term baptism and connected it to the Holy Spirit. In other words, that it's talking about being saved. But he said, now I think differently. I think the essence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a person who is already a believer receives extraordinary spiritual power for ministry. Can somebody shout hallelujah? So how many believers do we have in here this morning? Look at this. Come on, raise it up high. How many believers do we have? You are a candidate to be empowered with the Holy Spirit for supernatural ministry. Jesus said, these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they will... Cast out devils means how many believers do we have? Every believer can cast out demons. Then he said they shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. How many believers do we have? You can lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Let's just throw this one in. You can drink any deadly thing and it will not harm you. How many believers do we have? Dr. Elias Malky was a mentor of mine. He, w- he started the Middle Eastern Broadcasting Network with Pat Robertson and did basically a form of the 700 Club in Arabic language. He's the first man to preach in Arabic in the world, the gospel. And so he, he, rece- he used to have all these people write in and get saved from northern African, from Egypt, and from the Middle East. And, and he had some young guy write him from a northern African country, completely Muslim. He wrote him and he said, Dr. Malky, I was watching you on TV and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I was raised a devout Muslim. My whole family's devout Muslims. And I accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. 
And he said, but I was concerned because I was sure my family would basically oust me because of my commitment to Christ. But he said, a few weeks later, both my mom and dad came to me and said, son, we've also accepted Jesus as our Savior and believe in this Jesus that you're serving. And he said, here's what I found out happened. When I told them I became a Christian, mom and dad met privately and said, we can't have this. So they fixed dinner for him and poisoned it. And he ate it and he didn't die. So they came back and said, well, let's double the poison. And they fed it to him again and he didn't die. They said, we need to accept this Jesus as our Savior. How many believe that stuff still happens? And he said, you shall take up serpents. I brought some this morning. I'm just kidding. We have family connected to that, but Paul's a great example of that, right, on the island of Malta. But then he said, in my name, they shall speak with new tongues. So how many believers do I have in here? You all have the opportunity and privilege to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, I know in old school Pentecostal circles like ours, sometimes there's a lot of misunderstanding about this. I know some people believe that there's, you know, if you speak in tongues per, uh, if you, in, in, in public, you should always have that interpreted. There should be an interpreter there because Paul talks about it. Then Paul says, do all speak with tongues? It's a rhetorical question which begs the answer no. And, and I just think we're misunderstanding the context of what Paul was dealing with. If you study the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he's really dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. There is a gift of the Spirit of tongues for congregational use. That someone can give a message in tongues, and then that demands an interpretation, which also comes by the Spirit. And if you've been in our circles for any while, any while you'll figure that out, and, you'll, and there's a natural order of the Spirit when that happens. Every time I've seen that happen, the congregation goes silent. And we listen to that message given in tongues. And then we wait until an interpretation is given. Uh, A little while back, we had a gentleman in the church one morning during worship. uh, There was a lull in worship. And he gave a message in tongues. And then an interpretation came forth. And we had some visitors, as we do most Sundays, but there was a couple visiting. And I found out about it later. And you always think, oh, Lord, what did they think? But you know what they said, this young couple? They said, we enjoyed church, but when that man gave that message in another language, something went all over our bodies, and we looked at each other and said, God is in this place. Isn't that what Paul said? That tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. And even the prophetic word, he said, is a sign for the, for the people who come in. They'll hear, they'll have their, their hearts read, and they'll fall down declaring, God is in this place. So I don't agree with this modern push in the church, even in circles I'm in, where we're to dampen down the supernatural because it offends the lost. I am completely against that and have argued against it publicly in denominational meetings because I believe that's against supernatural evangelism in the Bible. If you want to get people saved, let the Holy Ghost go. Let supernatural...
supernatural ministry happen. And God knows more than we do. He's smarter than we are. And he can read people's hearts that we can't. Oh, give him a shout. Hallelujah. Yes. But when you're baptized in the Spirit, God's going to give you the ability to pray to him. And that prayer language, as Oral Roberts called it, and I like that language, that prayer language doesn't have to be interpreted. It doesn't have to be. And so if you come to our church, you might hear me pray in tongues sometimes in the microphone. Well, Pastor, you shouldn't do that. This is a public meeting. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the way I roll. So a few months ago, I was praying at the end of the service, praying in tongues, and we were, we were getting ready to call an altar call. And, and, and Nikki over here, way better us, Nikki, she messaged me later online, and Nikki said, Pastor, she grew up, her, her parents were all in ministry. She grew up in, in Pentecostal church. She said, I've heard of this, but I've never experienced it. When you were praying in tongues at the end of the service, I got it all in English. And God gave her a word that nailed her, read her mail. Can somebody shout amen? So you don't know what God's doing. So take off the scholar hat and just open up the heart of faith and listen. Vincent Sinan said there was a Polish man years ago who wandered into a Pentecostal church. And there was an old school country preacher preaching. He had preached a little bit in English and then he'd shout in tongues for a while. Then he'd preach a little bit in English and shout in tongues. And said every time he went into tongues, the little Polish man was hearing it in Polish. Jesus is for Polish people too. And he ended up getting saved. Okay. Two questions I'm going to answer. What's the difference between the baptism and the Holy Spirit? And being saved. When you're saved, you receive, as Lester Summerall said, the spirit of adoption. Spirit of adoption. Holy Spirit comes and does a work in you of salvation. You're awakened to new life. Your mind is now enlightened. Your sins are forgiven. The guilt is taken away. You have a new entrance into a new vista of living. It's absolutely amazing. Old is gone. The new has come. Everything is new. Hallelujah. It's the greatest thing ever. But in the baptism, the Spirit comes and imbues you with power to be able to go minister to other, and He opens up the realm of the supernatural to you. I believe that it's a door to the rest of the gifts of the Spirit. That when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, then everything else is open and you can walk into the rest and the depths of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you folks, just praying in tongues alone is something so supernatural and amazing. You need it in your life. You need it in your life. I've had some amazing experiences. I don't know. I used to be skeptical about this and I kind of try to judge things, but I read where Oral Roberts would say, you know, he'd pray in tongues and get the interpretation, and he got some of the greatest direction he ever received in his life. I built a prayer room in my house over the past few months, and I'd go up there, and all of a sudden, I just started praying in the Spirit, and then God started giving me the interpretation. I started just taking notes on the stuff, and it's absolutely amazing what's coming. 
you need the ability to be able to pray in the Holy Spirit. And I think I freaked some people out when I said this years ago, but I think it's biblical. You can access that gift to pray in the Spirit. If you've been baptized in the Spirit, you can access that by faith at any time. Now, the old time, old time Pentecost, we believe you can only pray in tongues when you were seized by the Holy Spirit or the Spirit, Spirit fell upon you. But I learned that now that the ability is in me, I can release it by an act of faith and pray in tongues at any time. It doesn't mean I will because it's not appropriate at all times. But I could pray in the Holy Ghost right now. So there's a difference between being saved and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So how do you receive it? Well, simply, you just receive it by faith. I was taught to tarry and, and pray. You know, we use that term tarry from Acts chapter 2. I was taught to tarry for the Holy Spirit, and I prayed for eight months to be baptized in the Spirit, and it was an amazing thing. A lot of junk came out of my life. I cleaned up a lot. But when I started pastoring, I learned through the school of hard knocks that a lot of people live great Christian lives and been in church for 40 and 50 years and never received the baptism of the Spirit. But then I had something happen to me that really opened my eyes. And that was uh, some folks in my church, I pastored in Chesapeake for four and a half years when I was in my 20s. We had a great church. God really sent revival and did amazing things. But anyhow, one, one weekend we had some folks from our church go to a halfway house and bring some of the halfway house guys to our church. Well, a lot of them ended up getting saved on Sunday morning. And then that night we came back for Sunday night and had a baptismal service. Well, one of the guys who got saved was a tattoo artist. Hallelujah. I mean, covered in tattoos. And he had like yellow, he had bleached yellow or orange hair or something. My wife told him, said, you know, maybe, maybe you should shave your head. Maybe that would work for you. <laughs> and he obeyed my wife. He shaved his head and had tattoos on the side of his head. <laughs> but he got saved on a Sunday morning. Sunday night, we baptized him. And I went down to the altar and laid hands on him. And this dude began speaking in tongues and was baptized in the Spirit. I said, hold on, Lord. How does this guy receive it? And I got a guy over here for 40 years been praying. And I realized it was just faith. It was just opening up by faith and receiving the Spirit. Then I remember the words of my grandmother, who was a saint. She said she got saved as a young girl. And she said, Hans, I could never tell people what happened to me because of old school People wouldn't believe it. But she said, I went to the altar one day and gave my heart to Jesus and prayed in the Holy Ghost in tongues at the same time. So you receive the Spirit by faith. You can receive the Spirit. How many believers again do we have in here? If you haven't received the Spirit, this morning is your morning. Our sister back here came to me after the first service. She said, I prayed in the Holy Ghost for the first time this morning. You made it plain. And I said, God, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not over. I'm just going to receive anything you have. And she walked right into it. How do you receive? Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4. He says, do not grieve the Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speak, and all that be put away. You know, maybe you need to get everything out. 
forgive everybody, get the offenses out, let all the bitterness go, and say, God, I want to receive everything you have for me. Acts chapter 5 says he gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Maybe it's just being obedient this morning. Just come into the altar and say, I'll obey you, Lord. I'll come to the altar and I'll open up and I'll receive by faith everything you have for me. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. How many knows that we need some assistance in life? Come on, we need some power assistance in life. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us so we can do the ministry that Jesus has called us to. Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. I hope to see you again.